0: God is good. Oh, some of y'all weren't here last week. When I say God is good, your response is all the time. And when I say all the time, your response is God is good. So let's try that again. God is good. And all the time. Well, let's try it again. God is good. And all the time. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, hey, neighbor. Turn to your neighbor. and Say, hey, neighbor. I'm so glad to be in the house of the Lord. I want you to look at somebody across the sanctuary and say, hey neighbor, I'm so glad to be in the house of the Lord. I know we like to call ourselves the frozen chosen, but not with me today. Mm -mm, Not with me. So today we are continuing in our series um, about the grandmothers of Jesus. Bill, Katie, Christine, and apparently Reverend Doogie are preaching about these great women in Jesus' lineage, and what we can learn from their stories. Now, Bill calls it bad history, but good theology, and I fully agree with that. What we see in the scriptures sometimes is is bad historical accounts, but they're good for authentic and honest God talk. Christine reminds us to look for the song lines of hope, in these stories, in these very complicated stories. So today, we're going to look at Granny Rahab and what she has to teach us. Pray with me. Dear God, in this space, we pray that your voice would boom louder than my own. May I decrease that you may increase. Lord, let us experience the manifestation of who you are right now in the name of jesus christ our beloved we do pray amen now if i had to title this sermon i would call it the continuation of a messy history and bill i promise i'm getting to the scripture in a second but this is a messy history. Why, Squire, do you say it's a messy history? Well, if you look at the line of Jesus, this genealogy is a group of ragtag ragamuffins and ne'er-do-wells who are, are lustful and they murder and they lie and they do this and they do that and they hold the uh, positions and careers that are questionable. But from this line of people, we have this birth of hope and inclusion. By the way, I don't believe preaching is a monologue. I believe it's a dialogue. So it's okay to say amen. It's okay to say praise the Lord. I heard it, come on now, praise the Lord. Y'all with me today, I love it, I love it. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. But in this this line, this, this group of messy people, right? Before we look at them, I wanna ask us this question, are we any better? Maybe you may not have murdered, you may not have lied, you may not have even gossiped, but we are imperfect people serving a perfect God who folds us into this story of hope. Oh, I'm already getting into the sermon, Bill. We're all in this sense, living uh, in the space of fragmentation with cracks that dig deep into who we are. This starting our ability to sometimes live into the fullness of joy. This last week, I was away uh, doing a, an intensive at the seminary, and we were talking about theology. And one of the things we talked about, Jory, is this idea of differentiation, right? in the fall we see this distancing of 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 human beings between adam and eve lord it wasn't me it was the woman who made me it wasn't me it was the serpent this uh this uplifting of ourselves by the downwarding the dehumanization of another how often do we do that in our own lives to make myself feel better madison i need to make you seem lesser this differentiation it happens. A part of our messiness is our, our desire to uplift. And this this, this messiness starts with Abraham. We see it in the promise in Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you uh, of a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So here we have God promising, promising Abraham this providence, provision and presence and we see the line of Abraham taking this promise and holding it with very messy hands. Abraham, Sarah, Hagar, messy people. Rebecca, Leah, Isaac, messy people. Jacob and Esau, oh my gosh, they were messy people. <laughs> Jacob and his 12 sons, one of which he was sold into slavery by his own brothers, my God, they were messy. Enslavement, messy situations. Moses the great liberator, a messy man. The children of Israel in the wilderness, a messy tribe of people. And then we come to this story of Granny Rahab. Now I'm getting to the scripture bill. So Jacob, uh, Joshua, Lord forgive me, Joshua has taken over the children of Israel, and so he sends two Israelites into the land of Jericho, And he says, go look at the land. And as they're in the land, they find this lady. Her name is Rahab. Now the scriptures calls her a prostitute. We'll get into that in a little bit. And as they're with her, the king hears that there's some sus looking people, for my young people, in the land. And he sends his people, he sends some guys over there to Rahab's house and he says, And they say to Rahab, hey, we hear that there are some people in your house. Give them up to us. Rahab says, oh, oh, those guys, I didn't even know who they were. They they already went that way. She sends them in a totally different uh, direction. She sends the guards in a different direction. And she goes upstairs to where the men are actually hiding Chloe. And she says to them, we have heard what your people, what your God has done. And it has brought fear to my people, we know that you, you all belong in this land. So when you come and take this land, promise me this, save my family, save my parents, my siblings. And they promise her that. And they give her a cord. And they say, put this cord in your house. And when we come into the land, everyone that's in that house will be saved. There's a hope in that story, and and we all know the rest of the story. It happens like that, and they're saved, and it's all good, right? This week, I struggle. Why do we call her this? uh, uh, The Greek word, is uh, uh, the Hebrew word is zona, right? That's the word used for prostitute. Why do we call her a zona? Because she doesn't actually do anything that's questionable, or, or the scripture would deem adulterous. Why are we calling her this? Well, I was reading this book by Dr. Kimberly Rusa, It's called Revisiting Rahab, and she says the word Zona points to a woman who exists on the margins of acceptable society because she participates in sex work. She is what some people on the south side would call a lady of the night. I should have said there's a bit of a PG-13 warning for this sermon, so bear with me, Emma, Ellie, (laughs) bear with me. One thing I found interesting though, is, is Dr. Russo says juxtaposition of a zona to a protagonist heightens the literary tension by placing the protagonist in question. Readers are left to question if a particular character can be a hero. Basically being given this title uh, creates a question of a person's morals, ethics, or character. Surah goes on to say a zona, listen to this bill, is an individual who was hailed in contempt by the Israelite community because her presence threatens the patriarch status quote by pointing first lady to a woman who controls their own body in ways that acceptable israelite women do not what do we see here we see rahab this zona who holds something within her that threatens the system that claims her body as property she holds autonomy over herself And this threatens the system. I don't know if you all heard, but there's this new movie out in theaters. It's called The Color Purple. This movie is based on the onstage musical by the same name, the uh, the novel by Alice Walker by the same name, the 1985 cinematic experience by the same name. And it's all about this woman named Celie and her journey to find her own self beauty in a system, in a world that puts pressure on all sides of her. Now, this is not a plug to go see the movie, but Kent, this is a plug to go see the movie. (laughs) One of my favorite characters in this movie is Miss Sophia, played in 1985 by the amazing Oprah Winfrey, played in this new uh, version by the amazing Danielle Brooks. And one of the things I love about Miss Sophia is her strength, right? She ain't gonna let nobody step on her. And that causes a bit of problems, John, in her home, with her husband Harpo. And one day Harpo is in the fields talking to Miss Seeley. He says, what am I going to do about Miss Sophia? Now, Miss Sophia and Miss Seeley, they're foil characters, First Lady. It means they're different on all sides. Miss Sophia is strength. She's not going to let nobody step on her, but Miss Seeley, she has succumbed to the system around her. So as Harpo is is, is ranting, what am I going to do about her? Miss Seeley says, beat her. Well, if you've ever seen the movie, you know that that doesn't go well for Harpo. In the movie, uh, in the newer movie, Miss Sophia sings a song confronting Miss Celia, and she says, I feel sorry for you to tell you the truth. You remind me of my mama under your husband's thumb. No, you under your husband's foot, what he says goes. Why are you so scared? I never know. But if a man Raise his hand. Hell no. Miss Sophia is a threat to people because she stands up against the system of female subservience. She threatens a system that says to subjugate by force and by fear, and Ben, so does Rahab. Now, whether Rahab was a lady of the night, I don't know, Caitlin, but this I do know. They were scared of her. She was a threat. We see it in the way that she deceives the king's men. Now, hospitality workers in that day, they were required by the monarchy that if somebody comes in and they look a little such, you got to tell the monarchy, let them know that, that somebody's in the town. She doesn't do that. Rahab stands up against this system, and if you did not do that, if you failed to do uh, this requirement, you faced death. This was a crime of treason. But Rahab has this loyalty to the people of Israel. She sees something in these people. She sees something in their God. She says, I want to be a part of whatever you got going on here. And so she, she stands up against this, 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 the the, the concept or the, the, the um, threat of death. But also we see it in the way that Rahab transcends gender norms. She creates a treaty, not just a bit of a history lesson that I thought was super cool. She enters into what is called a suzerain treaty. And it's a treaty with people, Maria, of unequal standing. She, in this moment, has the upper hand because the safety of the Israelite people, especially these two spies, lies in her hand. She is the dominant figure here. Come on, Granny Rahab. So now Rahab, as my JYG kids would say, she's standing on business right here. She's risking death for loyalty but, and she's transcending gender norms and entering into this covenant. And you can see why the storytellers would deem her as a threat to the patriarchy. But why does she risk it all? She risk it all, uh, uh, Joshua 2.13 says, for her family, for her parents and her siblings and their people. She kind of reminds me of Granny Tamar that Christine talked about last week. Rahab and Tamar both lived into this reality of by any means necessary to provide for their families. And one thing about I know that I've learned from my mother who is here today, Miss Kena Prince, I, I've learned that she would give everything she had, even her own life, if it meant that my sister and I had a better chance of revi- at, at survival. So Jacob, what I learned here is that Granny Rahab preaches us the gospel of motherhood. But here's the tension, my friends. What about when those actions contribute to a system of violence and death? Scott, we've talked about everybody in the story except for a group of people, the Canaanites. This story paints this uh, image of the Canaanites as these unholy people deserving of death we see again this distancing of the children of Israel. They are holy, and the Canaanites, they they are imperfect, and and even the babies need to go. Either they die or they're enslaved. They are are nasty, they are filthy, they they, they need to die. And and, and albeit, although the Canaanites were imperfect, the measures here seem extreme. They seem incongruent with the understanding that I have of a loving God. So make it make sense, Jory. Here we have the Israelites conquering a land that they say is their divine right. Now, we must be aware that when we encounter the Scripture, we are not encountering the words written by God exactly. They are the story of people's experiences with this idea of the one they call God. So in this, I had to ask this week, why this ancient genocide? One of the main reasons that they say that they had to get rid of the Canaanites was because they were scared that the Canaanites would convince them to worship their God. Jessica, does that sound like the omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, all-loving God that calls people into God's self and says, be one with me? No. That sounds like a people who are fearful, who are, are, are worried, who don't understand, who, who have a lack of faith, and albeit they want to know God, they use God as a cop-out for their insufficiencies. There are people who paint God in their own image, who uses God for their own purposes, So whatever the case may be, Rahab is a part of the system. She's a part of this messy history because she opens the door for the Israelites to come in. And what I learned from this, Chloe, is that our ancestors, those who have come before us, they are imperfect. We sit here and we have history, family histories of racism, anti-Semitism, homophobia, xenophobia, sexism, transphobia, Islamophobia, and many, many forms of fears and discrimination because we don't understand the other. And so the question I have for you today is what are you gonna do with what you've learned with those who've come before you? Before we bring Rahab out and we castigate her and we get ready to throw our holier than thou stones at her How are we living into a reality that creates our success by dehumanizing another or marginalizing another? How does my reality create the literal societal or figurative death of another? How does my upward progression cause the downward mobility of my neighbor? How am I marginalizing someone in just my refusal to see them as beloved and made in the image of God? Now, I did find some hope in this story, so it's not all bad. As we trickle down the line of Granny Rahab, we see that the door of colonialism is not the only door that she opened. She does, in fact, open the door for Gentiles, Owen, to be folded into the story. She gives birth to Boaz, and Boaz marries Ruth, a Moabite, a Gentile. Rahab, in her imperfection, opens the door. She begins the process of widening the gate of God's kingdom so that all people are welcomed in. The name Rahab means wide or broad. She foreshadows her great, 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 however many greats, grandson Who would open the gate to us all and say, guess what? There is room for you. Come on in. And finally, we have this cord. This cord that she placed on her house. So that when the Israelites did come, Rahab and her family would be safe this foreign woman of this woman of strength and and courage and determination she saved her family with this one cord this woman who lived on the outskirts the margins of her society who the system deemed was a threat and the system pushed her to the side she in her wisdom transcends what people said about her and she saves her family albeit full of mess God She opens the door for her family and their people so that one day Jesus, truly God and truly human, could enter into our messy existence and extend the hands of divinity to you, Ellie and Emma, so that you could be a part of the story. What Rahab did with the cord, Jesus does with a manger and a sinless life and a cross. And an empty tomb. So my final question for you today is, how is God wanting to manifest salvation, this saving grace through you today, not in you, because it's already in you? So God, how is God wanting to move through you? How has God wanting to pull you from the margins and place you at the center of this story? How is God wanting to pull you into the greater story of healing, of God's creation? on the margins Jessica? Is God calling you to see and pull them into the center with you first Corinthians 13 says for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror but then we will see face to face now I know only in part now then I know I will know fully even as I have been fully known and we know from that amazing sermon series that Bill did these words and now Faith, hope, and love remain. These three, and the greatest of these, is love. So come round, children, and listen to Granny Rahab. She wants to tell you the story of her scarlet cord, the cord that saved her family, but it was at a great cost. And she tells us, Emmett, this story to remind us, now that you have been known by that great love that we call God, Now that you can see just a little bit more clearly than she did now that we've been welcomed into this family, welcomed into this house of grace and healing, let us love better. Let us be better, let us do better, let us learn from Granny's story. What Rahab began, what Abraham began that Rahab carried on, that Jesus fixed, now we get to carry on this legacy, Judith. To call more, more, more into this beautiful space, this space of love, grace, and mercy, where there is room, there's room for you. In the name of the Father, and in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen.